Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Father God, we just thank you that we have this privilege of being able to be together like this. We pray that these moments will be especially valuable to you and that you, Father, would speak into our lives. We say to you and to ourselves, we say to ourselves rather, be still and know that you are God. Grant us to have that 2020 vision that we've been hearing about so far this year. Grant us a clear focus of your Father heart this morning towards us. Grant us the ability to see you already if our vision and our understanding is blurred in some way. I pray that you will clear the the mist that so often surrounds our minds and our lives. Help us to see you clearly. Just pray for your own heart this morning that your own heart will be quiet before God and you will each one just say, speak to me, Father, what you want to speak into my life. We pray it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Last month, um, I did something, we did something that I don't think we've ever done before, Jane and myself. We went to a concert in London. I can't remember in all the years we've been married that we've ever been to a concert before. I might be wrong, but it certainly I can't recall it. And we went to a place that we have never, ever visited before in London uh, called the Royal Albert Hall, which is a very famous, um, uh, very famous building. In fact, even though I was brought up in North London, I still... Uh, can say that I didn't really know where the Royal Albert Hall was. Obviously, I've seen things on television of, uh, you know, all these grand events they have there. And um, so we, anyway, we booked the week before Christmas. We went to hear uh, Handel's Messiah. Now, for those of you who know me a little bit, um, you'll know that even though I've got new hearing, uh, I still struggle a bit with music, well, quite a lot. And one of the things is that I very, uh, have great difficulty, unless the words come up on the screen, to actually uh, follow what's being said, unless it's something I know very, very well. Well, I should have looked, of course, before I went at the words of the Messiah, because that would have helped me enormously, <laughs> but I didn't, to my shame. Uh, the interesting thing was that uh, we, there, we get there and we, we're right up near the top. I mean, it's an extraordinary building. And um, uh, you're looking down and uh, the choir come in, the orchestra comes in, the lead conductor and, and the soloist all come in all very, uh, very graciously. And um, the music starts. And I'm just there observing what's going on. And I wasn't sure what I was going to hear. In fact, I didn't hear many of the words at all for quite a long time. And then about halfway through the first part, I heard seven words just as clearly as I can hear my voice now. And those seven words were, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
and after that, again, I couldn't particularly pick up what was going on. And as the performance went on, as the concert went on, I heard the odd words. And, um, but to me, uh, those seven words summed up so much for me um, about what I felt God was going to share with us about this series about father, the father heart of God and having our focus, having a clear focus, uh, seeing God in focus. Because just David had been chatting to me the week before we went, and then I have this extraordinary experience. I mean, if you can hear normally, you won't probably appreciate this, but to me, it was a very special moment. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yes, I thought, that's what I want to sort of write over, my, uh, over me. Um, he's a mighty God. He's an everlasting Father, and he's a Prince of Peace. Well, this is the third of three, as David said, of a series on focusing on God and the, God's heart. And uh, two weeks ago, um, David uh, introduced the uh, first one, a, a message on God's faithfulness, the father heart of God in creation and in creating us for his, in his image. And then last week, Dom uh, continued uh, with this amazing truth that we've been adopted into God's family and uh, the benefits of adoption, what adoption means, and with very vivid actors, if you remember from last week, are helping us out with that, and what our response should be. And today, uh, we're going to touch on the Father's heartbeat. And a lot of what I want to say uh, will have come out of uh, two or three days that um, uh, we spent up in the King's Arm Church in Bedford last year on what was called the Father's Heart School, uh, which was very uh, impacting uh, for everyone, I think, who was there. And so that's where I want to come from uh, this morning. And so when I heard, when I was at the concert at the Royal Albert Hall, that he's our everlasting father, keep that, as it were, as the backdrop um, of what I'm going to say, because human fathers come and go, uh, in case you hadn't uh, known, but our Father in heaven is everlasting. He's eternal. We cannot grasp the truth of that. He's faithful. And one of the things I want to encourage you about, like uh, the, the, these, those seven words I heard when I was at the Royal Albert Hall, was those, those words state something, what we call the attributes of God, his characteristics. Uh, he's a mighty God, uh, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Bible is full of dozens of words, uh, attributes of God. And what I want to encourage you, it's nothing to do with my message particularly, but I want to encourage you that when you, <laughs> I'll get on to it in a minute, when you, when you, get, uh, when you read a scripture, when you come across a word in scripture that describes God's character or his attribute, why not just highlight it in your, in, in your Bible or, or in your technology, however you do it? Mark it, and you'll be surprised at how much and how varied God's character and his, uh, his, um, his attributes are. And today we're just scratching the surface of just one of those, which is the Father heart of God and his heartbeat. Um, there's a picture I hope that's going to come up on the screen in a minute. Um, but uh, in the meantime, we're just going to look at the story of the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 11 to 32. 
And this is what it says. I don't think we're not going to be able to have them on the, um, on the screen. But if you want to follow it, it's Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to feed his stomach with the pods that his pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. If only the story finished then. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been uh, slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he was found. And that's the end of the parable. And every time I read this story, and I've read it many, many times, and you may well have done so as well, there's something about this parable that gets to your heart. There's something about it that is always new. There is always some way we can respond to this parable. And uh, before we look at it in a little bit more detail, uh, this week I was just looking through uh, the Gospel of Matthew and it was interesting that on two occasions um, uh, the Father in heaven looks down on Jesus, his son, on the earth at his baptism and his transfiguration and he says 
very similar words on both these occasions. Essentially, he, it, Jesus heard a voice from heaven, and it said, This is my truly loved Son, who brings me great joy. With him I am well pleased. We sang a song a little bit earlier on with that idea, that theme of, uh, uh, of God, a Father, being, have, having pleasure in us. And so note what the Father was saying about Jesus. He was saying, look. He was affirming him. He was drawing attention to his son. He was saying, look, this is my chosen one. I've picked him out specifically. He's my beloved. He's my dearly beloved son. He's precious. He's valuable. Uh, I'm pleased with him. There's such joy and pleasure in my heart. My favour is upon him. And he has full access to heaven's resources. And I want you to keep that in mind when we look at this parable because this is what it looks like when the Father bestowed honour on Jesus. But this is also, and again, coming back to what Dom shared last week about us being adopted into his family and receiving all the rights that we have received as sons and daughters of God because of our adoption. So he is saying to us this morning, he is affirming you. He is a draw, drawing attention to you. He has picked you out specifically. You are his beloved son. You are precious. You are valuable. He is pleased with you and his favour rests on you. You have access to all heaven's resources. And it's difficult for us sometimes to understand that we have everything that Jesus had access to while he was walking on this earth. In the parable, right at the end, it says, everything I have is yours. And I want to pray that we have a revelation this morning something of that, something that will just click with you and you'll say, thank you, Father. Well, I wonder whether you know the Father like Jesus. And I think for most of us, we would probably say no, but we can work, we can go on that journey of knowing him more. And so Jesus gives us this great illustration of who his father is in this story of the prodigal son. And actually, the story of, in, in my Bible and probably in yours, it says, it says at, the, the, uh, at the beginning uh, of verse 11, or just at the top, it says the parable of the lost son. But I would like to also suggest to you this morning uh, that we could entitle it the parable of the father's heartbeat, because I want to look at it from the father's point of view this morning, as well as from the son's. And so this is an amazing insight into Father, Father God's heart. But it's also a challenge to us in our culture and our generation about keeping focused on God and not having blurred vision. <clears throat> it's having a clear vision of our focus on Father God individually and also as a church corporately together. And so let's have a little look, first of all, at the younger son in verses 11 to 24. Literally... Uh, the son is saying when he asks for the inheritance, he's literally saying, I wish, Father, you were dead. In the context of that society <clears throat> and that culture, that must have been sending ripples of shockwaves uh, through the people who are listening to us. Because we read this so often, and the way it's translated, uh, we sort of take it for granted. But when you say that, it was almost that wish, I wish you were dead. It's a shocking statement. It's the ultimate rejection of his father. 
He's asking for his inferment. Why don't you just drop dead? But the father's response would have been to slap him across the face and drive him out of the home. But notice this. The father grants him the freedom to reject that love. You see, Father God never imposes himself upon us. We have the right and the freedom to choose. But the son is so focused on his inheritance that he no longer values the relationship he has with his father. And at that moment, he throws it away. But I wonder if this might be relevant to us today. Maybe there are things that we think are more valuable and more important than our relationship and our connection with God. And this is a constant challenge. <clears throat> and uh, I just want to refer back to what uh, Dom shared right at the beginning of the year about our vision for the year, the 2020 focus. And one of the, uh, the things that he said was, one of the problems we have is focusing on the wrong things. And it might be good things, but not necessarily the best. We need to be aware of uh, beware of things that lead us to distraction or cause you to be unfocused. Now, very helpfully, Dom didn't leave us there, but he gave us the answer. And the answer is to refocus. Take time and determination. It requires personal discipline. He mentioned Colossians 4 verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, and to limit, reduce distractions, and having regular times of silence and solitude. What a word. That is for our generation today in this country. The younger son was built for connection and intimacy, but was now disconnected from the true source of intimacy. It's what, um, on this uh, course that I went on, was described as substitute intimacy. And um, he was looking, the younger son was looking for that. When we go... Uh, abroad, or if you go abroad, you will often um, find, in fact, I think you will always find that the plugs that we use in this country, you know, the good trusty three-pin point plugs, they fit into the sockets very nicely. And everything that we use today, you have one of these. I think I'm right in saying um, but if you go to another country, you find that you have different sorts of plugs. And um, if you try to use one of these, it doesn't work. You can't receive the connection that you want. You can't receive the electricity. You have to have an adapter to help you. And... Um, so there we are. There's the adapter to plug in. So anywhere where they have electricity, you can put in whatever plug is appropriate for that country and you can put your three pinpoint in. And the reason I'm saying that is because it's a very simple uh, illustration about really the question is, what do you plug into for your intimacy and for your fulfillment, for your connectivity, however you like to describe it? What is it? Because the younger son was looking for something. And uh, in our society, in our generation, there are all sorts of plugs that we might put in 
which not unnecessarily are bad, but which cause us to be distracted or can cause us and I believe is relevant. For example, social media. We live, as you know, in a media-saturated age. We have many voices and distractions. TV, radio, the internet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email, text, and I've probably missed out a few that have come on board since I did this. It could even be things like food, alcohol, friendships, even family. As I say, nothing necessarily uh, wrong or evil in themselves, but they are plugs that we put in into our lives subconsciously and receive um, for our fulfilment to the detriment of our relationship. You see, God has put eternity, he's placed eternity in our hearts. That's what scripture says, he's actually placed it in here. <laughs> eternity is here, a part of it. And so there's that in our DNA that's always seeking something. And uh, my question is, what are you plugged into right now? And have we settled for a substitute? And I say this as a massive challenge to my own heart as well, but I believe we're on the right line as a church to keep focusing and saying, be still and know that I am God, 2020 vision. So what does the younger son do? In verse 17, he says to himself, I'm going to fix this. And uh, I'm going to, even though I've shamed myself, he comes to his senses and he says, I'm going to get a job in my father's house. I'm going to earn my way back into my father's favour. I'm going to pay the money back that I've wasted. I'm going to try and justify myself And he's confident that he can do that in his own strength and that uh, through just hard work, that's, that's, that's his way out. And again, isn't that so like us, that when we come to our senses about something or the direction of our lives or whatever it is, we try and work our way out of it and we try and justify what we're doing. He thinks he can earn his way back to being accepted and he relies on his self-reliance. He works hard. But verse 20, note this, as the father sees him, he runs to him and he takes on the shame of his son. He embraces and kisses him. And again, the original uh, that comes out, I'm told from this, this passage in verse 20, is, it would be translated, the father simply could not stop kissing him. You say, well, that's a, bit, <laughs> that's a bit emotional, isn't it? That's our father heart's God. That's our Father, God's heart. He simply could not stop himself. And that is what our Father God is saying to us this morning. He simply cannot get over you or me. The younger son receives a great outpouring of, God, of, of costly love from his father. And I believe it's at that point that he actually realises he can't earn his way back to his father and have that relationship. He has to accept the father's love and he truly repents, and he accepts the love. He's run out of his own efforts to gain favour with his father. Again, I wonder if I'm speaking to someone here this morning who just simply is in that situation. You just feel like you've tried to earn your way back to God's favour in some way. It's so easy to do. We try and uh, do it for ourselves, and yet the father just, as it were, simply wants to come and embrace us 
and just the issue, you see, wasn't one of money. It wasn't, the issue wasn't what had he wasted. The issue was a broken relationship. And if we've been plugging into intimate, uh, substitute forms of intimacy, then we need to come to our place of repentance and allow the Father to embrace us again and restore that. He can do that for you. He would say something like this to us, come on, give yourself to me, plug in here, drink from me, let the life of my spirit flow back into you. Let sonship be restored right now, let your slavery fall off, let it go. But let's turn our attention to the older son. And in verses 25 to 32, we read about how the older son responded to this situation. Again, in verse 25, we see he's working in the field. No doubt he's working hard. He's doing everything that he always has done. And yet he's also in in some way disconnected from the relationship with his father. He's interpreted his inheritance as having to work for it hard and uh, to work hard in keeping the fields well so that when his time comes to inherit it, everything is in order. He's a task-orientated person. He's faithful, yes. He's obedient, yes. He's responsible, yes. All good qualities. He's filled with a sense of personal worth upon successfully completing the job in hand. But he had lost sight of his relationship with his father. You see, scripture tells us of Jesus' relationship with his father that Jesus never worked for the Father, but he worked with his Father. He did what he saw his Father was doing, that sense of trust, simple trust in his Father. Are your tasks in life taking more priority than your connection with the Father? Even though the older son never lost his father's house, he was in one sense just as far away as ever. But notice again the father's response. You see, in both, the, both sides of, of both, with both sons, the father takes the initiative. <laughs> the father has taken the initiative with you and me when he revealed Jesus to us and when we responded to the gospel. And uh, again, the translation could be something like this. He propelled himself out of the house. He left the celebrations that were going on uh, with the younger son. There was no sense of judgment on him, or, or, on this situation. He took the initiative and he came out to his older son. He was, in fact, the older son was effect, effectively, effectively saying to his father, I don't like celebrating and I don't want to, anybody else to celebrate and have fun either. And uh, there was an anger. We read in verse 28 that the older the older brother became angry and refused to go in. And again, I find this so challenging, uh, having been a Christian for many years, that we can sometimes uh, become, in our own spirits, we can get angry with other things that are going on around us and we can miss the heart of what God is trying to say to us. You see, in verse 29, the... The uh, older son was invited to the party as well, but he was so caught up with his feelings of anger and hurt. He said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. He tries to justify himself before his father. 
And again, I can identify with that a little bit in my life. Again, that uh, I can say, well, all these years I've been working for you. There's a sense in which we feel we justify ourselves, but we cannot. But it is like us so much. And as I get older, and I think this is a, a temptation for those of us who are older. If you're younger, don't switch off because you will become old one day. But for me, I find that we c- I can have these sort of thoughts. Well, we used to do it like that. And that used to work. Or, well, I think that should change. And we, g- we begin to get our own preferences. We begin to state things that, that we like to the detriment of what God wants as a whole for his corporate body, his church. And I find that it's, it's very easy just to slip uh, into being judgmental and critical. And that can itself lead uh, down a slippery slope. And so I have to keep coming back time and again to what God has done for me in Jesus in dying on the cross. Because that is the level playing field that we're all... <laughs> that we all start from. It's not that one is better than the other. We each need one another. I need you younger guys because you've got so much life, so much vitality. I was, uh, I was watching the uh, Alpha video, the Alpha training video earlier this week and it, I just needed to see that again and it just gave me the oomph to get up and we had some disappointments uh, with who we tried to invite and I was getting we were both rather disappointed that no one was going to come to Alpha and I'm trying to work it out I'm trying to make my own effort again (laughs) my own effort so I just know that I just have to pray so we pray and then uh, I go to the uh, training and it's so good it just gave me that motivation, that faith to go, yes, I don't have to lose one because I can do something here. I can invite my next door neighbour and I have. I'm still waiting for him to make a decision but I'm going to drag him along. Well, (laughs) I'll say anyway, I'm hoping he'll come. But we've had also two people who, most unlikely people, um, are going to come at least to the first one. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. I want to know what's going to happen at the end. I want to know how they're going to respond. But no, God is saying to us, our Father in heaven, saying, look, look, I've got this in control. Don't you trust me? You just do what you can, and I'll do that. So, you know, some of us, I just need to have that sort of push sometimes to say, yeah, you know, come on, Colin, um, we can do this. Um, so, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just preaching to myself here. Um, there's an interesting quote that came out of these, um, the, these few days away. I um, can't remember who it was, but this is what... Um, it's, it's in the context of, of trying to work our way for God and, for, and, and being task-orientated. It says this, our intimacy is not a reward for our labours. It is the root system out of which all our labours are to proceed. Jesus, the true son, declared that it was precisely because the father loved him that he showed Jesus all that he was doing so that Jesus may do it with him. I'll just repeat that. But intimacy is not the reward of our labours. It is the root system out of which our labours are to proceed. Jesus, the true son, declared that it is precisely because the father loved him that he showed Jesus all that he was doing so that Jesus may do it with him. 
Scripture tells us that God has prepared good works for us to do, and he wants to do them in partnership with us. They will be things we do together, corporately, as a church. There's great strength in doing things together. Great strength. We can do things individually. You know, our own uh, Christian lives, in, in our, again, in, our, in, in the years I was brought up, you know, in my younger days, it was very much individual, you know, your own personal walk with God, and that's absolutely right. But I'm beginning to see again the, the importance of, of, uh, of a corporate nature of Christians together, whatever, whatever context, even this context, it's great. We need one another. And so uh, God has prepared good works for us to do. So let's just have a quick look at the Father's response, verses 31 and 32. The Father is saying here, uh, Oh, beloved, don't you see you have missed my heart? You could have a party any time. Don't you know that everything I have is yours? And that's the punchline. See, Jesus is a great storyteller. We want to know what happens next, don't we? <laughs> we, we want to know how it ended. Our curiosity, our, uh, you know, our minds are sometimes sort of processed. How is it going to work out? You know, you get the question, the, the, the journalists, uh, the interviewers on television. Well, what about this? What about that? I can imagine saying to Jesus, well, how's the story going to end? He doesn't say. And the reason he doesn't say it is because uh, he, he's leaving it up to the hearers what their response is going to be. The father is actually saying, it's your choice. It's your call. My heart is the heart of a celebrator, of a true father, of restoration, of wholeness, beauty, freedom, joy, healing and wellness. And so it's the same this morning. <laughs> it's your choice. It's my choice. But I want to encourage you to follow on from what we've been hearing over the last few weeks about our vision and having our focus on God. Okay, we're going to move on to a different series next week. Um, and our tendency will be to forget that. But I just want you to take a few moments this week, maybe, just to think through again about a relationship with your father and to make sure there are clear lines of communication and that our eyes aren't blurred. I'm going to do something again that uh, I've never done before um, when I've been speaking, but I'm going to get you to do a bit of work now. Um, I'm going to give you an invitation to the party. Okay, so everyone is going to get an invitation to... It's right, I'm not preparing this party, but it's the party, it's the celebration of what, of what God has done for us. And we hopefully we'll be able to uh, uh, enjoy just singing a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But before I do that, I'm going to get to someone just to uh, bring out, to bring, give you a, an invitation and a pen. And I, what I want you to do is to... I'm not quite sure how we're going to do this, but... Um, uh, I'll leave it to these guys. They seem to know what they're doing. But um, w when you've had that, I'm just going to finish by reading a story uh, from this book uh, called From Orphans to Heirs by a man called Mark Stibby. And it uh, celebrates our spiritual adoption. If you haven't read it, um, then you can borrow my copy. But I, I warn you, the pages are falling out. So please don't lose them if you do. But seriously, it was written 20 years ago, and it, it's a, a superb, um, it, it, it's a superb uh, presentation of what Don was sharing last week and what we're, 
what we've been talking about. Mark Stibbe himself was adopted, and so he brings out so much uh, in Scripture as well. But I'm going to read a story in a, in a minute, and then we're going to finish, and I'm going to ask the band to come back when I've finished, um, when I've finished uh, reading this. We're going to pray together, and then I don't know what's going to happen. So that's what's going to, that's, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> okay, so um, with your pen, what I want you to do is to write your name on the invitation. Okay, can I just, have we got one spare? Thanks, Don. Okay. And what I want you to do is to keep that in your Bible at home or on your fridge, wherever you keep things that you want to look at. And it just simply says this to my beloved, you are invited to my party because you are worth celebrating. So often we as Christians have a fairly low self-esteem, but Jesus doesn't have that problem with us at all. He thinks we are worth celebrating. I've been waiting for you. I want you. I love you. You bring me so much delight. Beloved, everything that I have is yours. You are my child from your loving father. We were given these on the course that we went on, and I've kept it in my Bible. And every day, well, most days, some days, <laughs> I look back at it and I read it. And it just, it does me, it does me good to restate and to just declare how my Heavenly Father thinks about me. Anyway, let's just read this story because I think this, this really summarises everything that I've been trying to say. And when I finished it, when I finished it, let's come back. Years ago, there was a wealthy man, a widower, who together with his only son, shared a passion for art. Together they travelled the world, adding only the finest treasures to their collection. One autumn, war engulfed the nation, and the young man left to serve his country. After only a few short weeks, his father received a telegram. His beloved son was missing in action. He anxiously awaited more news, and within days his fears were confirmed. The young man had died while helping a wounded man. Distraught and lonely, the old man faced the coming Christmas period with sadness. On Christmas morning, a knock on the door awakened the old man from his depression. At the door stood a soldier with a large package in his hand who introduced himself. I was a friend of your son, the one he was rescuing when he died. May I come in for a few moments? I have something for you. As they began to talk, the soldier told how the man's son had spoken about their love of fine art. I'm an artist, said the soldier, and I want to give this to you. As the old man unwrapped the package, the paper gave way to reveal a portrait of his son. Though the world would never consider it to be a work of a genius, the painting featured the young man's face in striking detail. Overcome with emotion, the old man thanked the soldier, promising to hang the picture above the fireplace. Then he sat in his chair and spent Christmas gazing at the gift he had been given 
which soon became his most prized possession. The following spring, the old man became ill and passed away. The art world was in anticipation. According to his will, all the old man's works of arts were to be auctioned on Christmas Day, the day he had received his greatest gift. Collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings. But the auction began with a painting that was not on any museum's list. It was the painting of the old man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid. The room was silent. Who will open the bidding with £100? The auctioneer asked. Minutes passed. No one spoke. And from the back of the room, someone voiced what many were thinking. Who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's forget it and get on to the good stuff. And more voices echoed in agreement. No, we have to sell this one first, replied the auctioneer. Now, who will take the son? Finally, a man, a friend of the old man spoke. Will you take 50 pounds for the painting? That's all I have. I knew the boy, so I'd like to have it. I have 50 pounds. Will anyone go higher? Called the auctioneer. More silence. Going once, going twice, gone. The gaval fell. Cheers filled the room and every, someone exclaimed, now we can get on with it and bid on those treasures. But the auctioneer announced that the auction was over. Disbelief stunned the room. What do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a picture of some old guy's son. What about all these other paintings? There are millions of pounds worth of art here. It's very simple, the auctioneer replied. According to the will of the father, whoever takes the son gets it all. Amen. Perhaps the musicians have come back. Just like us to pray. There's a very poignant story that I've just read. And I just wonder if God is speaking to us this morning that you might feel like that picture that went for 50 quid at the auction, perhaps of no great value to anybody else. You perhaps compare yourself with others who, in the terms of that story, are worth millions of pounds. I don't necessarily mean me, literally, but you pursue, see them as and you compare yourself with them. But I want us to be very clear this morning. Whoever has the son takes the lot. <laughs> He's given us everything. Everything I have is yours. And so I just want to pray 
for people who may feel that is themselves. There'll be an opportunity to respond in just a moment. But I also want to just highlight verse 14 where it talks about the youngest son, after he'd spent everything, went to, there was a severe famine in the land. And again, I wonder if God is speaking to someone that that might be true of your circumstances this morning. It might seem like you've spent everything, that you have given everything, and yet there's now a famine in your own heart. Maybe you're not even a Christian. It's a day that you know in your heart that God has spoken to you in some way. There'll be an opportunity to respond. And then in verse 22, for some it is an invitation to the party, a celebration of all that the Father has done for you in Jesus. And you just need to know again that the Father has the best robe for you, the best ring, the best sandals. He's saying, I'm here, let's celebrate together. And right at the end, like the older son, you might feel anger. You might have that resistance in your own spirit to be part of the celebrations. Maybe you feel neglected or bitter about something that's happened, despite all you know about Jesus. But the Father's punchline for us all is, but we have to celebrate. Everything I have is yours. And as the musicians play and as we sing a little bit longer, <coughs> I want to suggest three ways that we can respond. The first is you can come up to the front and there'll be those who will pray for you and who'll be with you. We don't need to know what you've come up for prayer for, but sometimes there can be just a, a connection with the Father because someone is praying with you. Or you may prefer just to pray quietly with somebody afterwards, in which case you can go to the back of the room and there'll be those there who will pray with you. Or thirdly, you may just feel that you want to th think about what's being said this morning quietly at home in your own response when there's nobody else around. We're just you and your father <coughs> and you can respond. But the one thing The one thing I believe that the Father wants us this morning is together. Whenever we come together to be able to celebrate what God has done for us. I don't want this to be heavy. I just want it to be just like a, a release. It's like it's a, oh, a relief, yes, between you and your Father. The Father keeps saying to us, I've got everything. I've said enough. Let's just worship. And then if you want to come and receive prayer, just come forward.